Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please consider supporting Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Trevor from Halifax calling in to say that I support creative control on Patreon because I think long-form arts journalism is a crucial part of music culture and there's simply not enough of it out there today. Vish is a master interviewer, he lands great guests, and he has his finger on the pulse of the ever-changing music landscape both here in Canada and abroad. For all of these reasons and many more, I think you should support creative control on Patreon too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. Chris France is a gifted musician, songwriter, and producer based in the state of Connecticut. A wonderfully inventive drummer, France is a founding member of pioneering and influential bands like Talking Heads and Tom Tom Club, who each reimagined what rock, pop, hip-hop, and dance music could be. St. Martin's Press has just published France's new memoir, Remain in Love, Talking Heads, Tom Tom Club, Tina, and he and I connected recently to discuss it and his relationship and perception of his old friend and collaborator, David Byrne. His loving marriage to musician and bandmate, Tina Weymouth. What it was like to tour with the Ramones, and to encounter people like John Lennon, Yoko Ono, and Keith Richards, among others. The status of Talking Heads and their musical archives, what's next for Tom Tom Club, other future plans, and more. 
a part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control and Massey Hall's concert film series live at MasseyHall.com, where you can stream dozens of 30-minute films for free, including performances by past podcast guests like Born Ruffians. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 557th episode of Creative Control, featuring the brilliant and legendary Chris France, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi Chris, how's it going? It's going great. How's it going up there? Well, it's going it's going okay. We we have a pandemic in Canada. I don't know what it's like for you, but it's a uh... Oh, oh, uh yes, there is that. <laughs> that's not that's not so great. Um <laughs> It's not I, I, I'm laughing at it, but it's not great. It's it's obviously not great. I'm I'm speaking to you from our home in Connecticut where we've basically uh been self-isolating since early March. You know, I'm not the only one. I, I feel very fortunate to have a nice place and uh, plenty of room to sort of walk around. And, uh, you know, I've, I'm, I feel very fortunate that I'm not in a tiny apartment in New York or something like that. Right. Or, or the uh, loft apartment you describe uh, living in with uh, with Tina and David in the 70s, yeah. which I'm just in your book. I'm just like, whoa. Like that is a hard situation. Yeah, you are. I would think you're lucky to be in Connecticut. I'm in Edmonton, Alberta, where I moved in January from Ontario, and then the whole world collapsed. So I have a running yeah. running joke that maybe we caused everything by leaving. Uh, I have. I, no- I, I, I have a good friend from Edmonton. Oh, but he lives in New York. I, I think he wishes he were back in Edmonton right now. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's nice. I just haven't had a chance to really. We we just got a house. It's under construction. As I'm speaking to you, we're just trying to get. We were trying to get immersed, you know, into the whole city. So we're in uh-huh. un- unfamiliar territory. All we have is our family and a, a few work friends. So yeah, it's weird. It's a weird. It's been a very disjointed time. I know uh, from your book that uh, you and. Uh, your family, you do have a home in, uh, in the Bahamas, is that right? We have an apartment in the Bahamas that we've had since uh, 1980, 1980. Yes. Uh, it was it was uh, built behind Compass Point Studios. Uh, Chris Blackwell from Island Records, uh, who, who also owned Compass Point Studios, had hopes of starting an artist's colony down there. So he built a, a building so for his kind of like so he could attract his favorite musicians down there. And for a while, T- Tina and I were the first ones to move into the building. And for a while, we had uh, Grace Jones and Sly and Robbie and Tyrone Downey from the from the Whalers. And uh, Robert Palmer was living across the street and. 
it was a real nice scene. Unfortunately, that scene is no longer there, but our apartment still is. And <laughs> so we go down there. I was hoping to go uh, in November, but uh, sadly, the Bahamas is closed to uh, travelers right now. So, yeah, I, I, I wondered I brought that up because I wondered if you might be there now just because of everything that's going on. It might have been nice if you could hang out in yeah, your apartment in the Bahamas, I would think. Would have been lovely. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they're, they're, they're having a, the hurricane just missed them. Right. Uh, in New Providence, just, just, just barely missed them, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. But they, they've had a spike, I think, due to cruise ships. They've had a spike of the virus down there uh, as well. Yeah. So, so uh, I don't know. Just keep wearing the mask and washing our hands. And yeah, yeah. As as a person, uh, what I get from you, uh, the vibe I've gotten from your book and from your work over the last uh, forty five years is that you are a, a people person. You're a humanist. You care about people. Uh, that is the vibe I get, and that is the ideal all of us strive for, I would think. But given what's yeah. going on, this calamity, uh, where has your mind kind of gone about the, the behavior of the people who are trying so desperately to resolve our, our collective issues and also those who have politicized it and are trying to, I don't know, uh, claim liberty, Trump's, you know, collective the collective good, these kinds of things. As an American... As a, what I, I don't know if you would bristle at being called a humanist, but Chris, what do you make of our behavior at the moment uh, from different streams of behavior, I suppose? Well, I, thank you for calling me a humanist. I, <laughs> I, I believe that I am. Yes. Of course, uh, Tina Weymouth and, and I um, are not happy with our uh, president and we're not happy with our, our current Senate Congress is a little bit better. Mm-hmm. House of Representatives uh, is a little bit better in in that they at least at least they're trying to get things done on behalf of the people. But um, Tina and I are both hoping that uh, with the coming election in November, th- things will uh, suddenly improve. Mm. You know, uh, it's just a maddening time. <laughs> it, it, it is. Yeah, for anybody with a conscience and and like any compassion for their fellow man, it's a very difficult time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I, and by the way, I, I'd be remiss in, in not. How How is Tina doing? By the way. Oh, Tina's well. Thank you. She okay. she's uh, she's looking after this little squirrel that she rescued. Oh. And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, he seems to be getting along just fine. In fact, he just went whizzing by my window here. But it, she's doing what's called a, a, a soft release. Oh. She, when she found him, he was uh, suffering from pneumonia, and he was just tiny, could fit in the palm of your hand. And she nursed him back to health with the help of our vet, local veterinarian. And twice she's released him, and twice he's come back with like bites all over his nose and his head and stuff, where some other animal attacked him. Hmm. He he always comes back when he's been bitten, <laughs> comes back to Tina, but um, he seems to be recovering now well, and uh, he's you know he's running around our house. Uh. <laughs> wow, I, I did. Is this an American thing to? 
to adopt and, and, and help the wild squirrels. We have lots of squirrels here in Canada. I have not heard anyone of anyone saying, you know, I took a squirrel and it was down on its luck. And I, I'm trying yeah. to help it. And there's, there's a Seinfeld episode about this, and I thought, well, that's just absurd. No one would do that. You're saying you you two rescued a squirrel. That's phenomenal. Not only a humanist, uh, a squirrelist, I guess. I don't know what the <laughs> proper term is, but yeah, no, that's that's incredible. Is that common? Would you have you done something like well, this before? Uh, Tina's done it before uh, when she was young with a flying squirrel. Ah, that. Uh, that she also rescued. You know, you know, animals get hurt and and they can't fend for themselves sometimes when mm. they're very young. So yeah. So some some people uh, come to their rescue. Yes. Tina is one of them. Right. Well, again, yeah. I think it speaks to your collective heart, and it speaks to the the power of your union. You both seem like a kind and and caring people. Uh, I, as I, I want to get into Remain in Love, your excellent new, uh, I guess it's a memoir. Would you describe it as a memoir? I guess it is, right? I describe it as a memoir because it's, it's not my, it doesn't include my entire life and everything I've done the way an autobiography would. Yeah. It's, it's kind of highlights and, and also a couple of lowlights. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, as we were talking about your current uh, leadership, and as I, as all of us kind of contemplate uh, global leadership, um, I couldn't help but think that some of the depictions of people in your book, uh, which is chronicling your time in Talking Heads, Tom Tom Club, your your marriage to Tina, but some of the depictions of some of the people in your orbit seem vaguely familiar as a type, as a dictatorial, aloof inscrutable kind of thing. Do you see where I'm coming from there a little bit in terms of your current I think, leadership? I think I do. I think I do. Yeah. You know, uh, it, when you choose to be in a rock and roll band or, or I would say any form of the arts, uh, there are no guarantees. Uh, there's no guarantee that, that people are going to observe the golden rule and be, uh, you know, like, like I was brought up by my parents to to believe that in the golden rule that you know do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That was kind of how we were taught to live, right? Mm-hmm. But but evidently, even though some people were taught this uh, when they were young or may have been taught this, it didn't really sink in. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, so being in a rock and roll band, there were a lot of bumps in the road, you know, twists and turns that that uh, we had to navigate. And it wasn't always easy. Sometimes it was kind of painful. But on the other hand, I'm really not complaining because so many bands never, never have a chance to even, you know, their, their records never even wake up. Uh, it, it seems, but we were fortunate to have have you know quite a few quite a few good years, and 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 some of those years were actually great years. Well, so, I think the lore of rock and roll is is just filled with uh, stories of uh, joy, collective joy, and also dysfunction. So, on so, and you yeah. you and Tina have uh, produced many records. Uh, while you were in Talking Heads, while you were in Tom Tom Club, uh, having been familiar with your own band dynamics and probably wondering to yourselves, is this unusual? Is this weird? Having produced bands like, say, I don't know, Happy Mondays, did you become familiar with the notion that 
this was common. This function was kind of common. I, I became more and more so, sort of aware of that problem. I always believed that if things were going well, people would be happy. But it's not that simple. No. People can be unhappy even when circumstances are excellent. <laughs> Do you, does, and, does this? And, uh, does you it, know, yeah. You, you just have to, I guess that all you can do is just say, come on, man, calm down or <laughs> well, get a grip. <laughs> well, what does it tell you about the creative impulse that suggests that it could and can be disconnected from the impulse to find joy? I, I find that part of this story kind of interesting. By the way, I'm jumping kind of ahead. I want to give you an opportunity to talk about your motivations for this book. And also, for those who haven't read it yet, to maybe summarize it on some level. We're kind of uh, doing that on some level. But just to follow up on what we were just talking about, does that resonate with you, this notion that for some reason creative people, as much as they're doing something that externally seems to be a pleasant expression, um, an an emotional expression, in your experience, you've probably discovered that it is often sprung from some sort of pain and some sort of inability to relate to other humans. <laughs> and I, I think that's a curious thing. Do you have any perspective on that? Well, I think that when you look at a person, there are some things that are seen and there are other things that are not seen. And uh, what's going on, you can't really see what's going on in a person's head. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a good thing, although sometimes we wish we could see what's going on in a person's head. And um, not all of us are the same. I mean, some of us deal with great anxiety, and we try to we try to damp it down so that other people don't notice, you yeah, know. Yeah. Some of us deal with emotional pain that was caused by uh, an event that happened when we were young. Some of us miss our loved ones, maybe, uh, yeah. you, know, you know, there's all kinds of problems going on. And, and, and one thing I, I learned when I wrote this book, or one thing that was sort of re- gradually revealed to me was that even though I was having a wonderful time in Talking Heads, maybe, maybe not everybody in the band was. Hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, of course, we're referring to David mainly yeah although i th- i think for tina it was at times difficult too because uh you know no nobody likes to be treated as a as a whipping boy or a or as a uh, person who's less important than the other members of the band yeah to be treated expendable like you're expendable absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well it does seem to me that the, the other aspect of what strikes me about your your book is that I think it's sort of drawing the curtain back from, from, from the, uh, you know, we all had a perception of this band, Talking Heads in particular, um, and we have a perspective on David Byrne. And on some level, you wanted, it seems to me, one of your motivations for writing this book is to say, well, not everything is as it seems. Is that a fair assessment? Yes, a totally fair assessment. I I felt like um, a number of things have been written about Talking Heads over the years, particularly in music magazines like uh, the New Musical Express in England and uh, Melody Maker and Sounds and um, Rolling Stone, you know, and uh, The Village Voice and so on and so forth. 
and and then it, it it seems like later authors would just merely regurgitate these articles or news items that that may have been accurate or inaccurate <laughs> right and as a result the same old bs gets recirculated over and over again about our band and so i just felt like well I have kind of a unique perspective. I'm a founding member of the band. I'm married to the bass player for a considerable length of time. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I love the band uh, despite all, you know, people say, well, how can you love it despite this or despite that? Well, I do because we did such great work together. Yeah. And uh, our legacy is is all these wonderful songs that we worked on together and recorded together. So um, I felt like you can call it setting the record straight, or you could just call it telling the truth about a situation. Right. And and that's what I did. Everything I said, by the way, Vish is true. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't make stuff up. <laughs> well, it seems to me you've done some record keeping over the years. You, uh, throughout the book, you illuminate specific shows in great detail. Are you a journal keeper? Is is that what you did at the time? You know, I'm I'm kicking myself today that I never kept a journal. Hmm. I have uh, two very nice uh, unused journals on my desk over there. <laughs> one 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 of them I bought in somewhere in Germany, I think it was Berlin, but it has sort of a Bavarian leatherworking cover. And uh, there's not a page written in it. Um, But we never took, I never took photos either. I didn't even have a camera. Right. I mean, I mean, that was how stupid was that? But, but uh, we were just so busy and, and it seemed at the time, like everybody was always taking our picture. So I didn't, I didn't think it was really necessary, but now I realize that, you know, bands like The Clash, for example, or 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 Chris Stein of Blondie took wonderful photos of the band all throughout their tours and right. and other uh, other things too. But no, I didn't keep a journal. But fortunately for me, uh, Tina kept date books. Tina was our our tour manager in the early days. Mm-hmm. She she was the one who would collect the money at the end of the night. And she kept uh, date books that she would buy at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. And, and uh, like, for example, the, the date book for 1977 has King Tut on the cover. <laughs> Remember when King Tut it was touring the world? Um, and I think first stop was New York. But anyway, um, uh, Tina kept... On on a, any particular day, it would have the name of the venue. It would have uh, how many tickets were sold. Hmm. She would write down whether we liked the promoter or not, <laughs> wh- wh- whether she thought it was a good show or not, and finally, how many encores we received, if any. And uh, usually, usually they were good shows, in her opinion, but some of them were like, Terrible show. Never come back to this town again. <laughs> okay, so you had some journal keeping going on, even if it wasn't you. Tina had something. Yeah, which which would would uh, spark my memories of those particular dates, right? And, uh, and I was grateful to her for that. 
Well, it does give you, as the reader, a sense that you're there with you, on the road, traveling with you. It does feel truthful, if that makes any any sense to your earlier point. Yeah. You know, this does feel like, yeah, I feel like I'm sort of embedded within the, the culture of, of the band and, and your dynamic uh, reading it. So you've talked a little bit about your motivation. You talked about uh, the narrative around uh, Talking Heads in particular has been kind of sort of ensconced and you wanted to kind of, like you say, perhaps set the record straight. I guess I'm curious why now? Why did you, I mean, obviously this is a work that I assume you spent some years on, but what what exactly sparked you to finally think, you know what, I have stories to tell. I'm kind of tired of other people telling my story, our stories. What prompted this? Well, uh, I, I'm getting to be a certain age, you know, Vish. <laughs> I, I, I can, knocking on wood here, yeah. I can still remember things. And Well, there are two reasons. One, I wanted to get it down while I could still remember things. And also, I felt like prior to this time, I, I had been concerned that I didn't want to burn bridges. I'm not trying to burn bridges now either, but I didn't want to, you know, upset the other members of the band in any way. And uh, Because you thought there might potentially someday be some kind of reconvening? Yes, I, I had hopes that there would be because, it, you know, it makes such sense to do so. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're all still alive. We all still have good health. We can, we can still play. We can still rock. And uh, we still have that sense of adventure that makes you want to be in a band in the first place. Mm-hmm. But, but David doesn't see it that way. And I know he has he has his reasons. He he loves the Broadway theater now, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's cool. It's it you know Talking Heads had never been on Broadway before. <laughs> well, it's fascinating. You're, you're now, too, yeah, I, I just want to <laughs> I just want to interject because I I am a bit confused by it too because it seems to me between Talking Heads and Tom Tom Club. You and Tina seem to be as open-eared and adventurous in terms of wanting to play music. Like when I, we have been, I will tell you, I have two children. They are nine and five and my wife. And we have, we have just been blasting Talking Heads music and Tom Tom Club music throughout the house. And I mean, they're all familiar with it. I'm obviously a huge fan and familiar with it. Um, maybe it's not obvious to you, but I will tell you I am. And, and I also, I'm a drummer. So Chris... It is, oh, good. It is, it is very significant to me that we're chatting, if that means anything to you. Like, it means a lot to me that we're having this conversation. So, well, likewise. Well, thank yeah. you. Well, we've been blasting the music, and it just, you know, you kind of, we, sometimes we take things for granted, and we take innovation for granted, and we take unprecedented sounds for granted. Like, and I, when I'm going through, I decided to go through the Talking Heads discography in chronological order. Uh, to prepare for our chat, and it's remarkable. Uh, it is remarkably inventive music, and I don't know anyone that sounds like you beforehand or since, really. Other people are trying to get to what you got to in the spirit of it and in the innovation of it, but that's a very unique output between Talking Heads and Tom Tom Club. And so, and it seems to me that you and Tina and Jerry had that impulse to do something unusual, unprecedented, 
aim for ambitious and artistic, like to have sort of mainstream ambition on some level, but also have that artistic credibility. I can't think of too many entities that have done that. And I feel like David has that too. So it's frustrating for me to think that some social issue is preventing this thing from convening again when what you did seemed constantly special and challenging to yourselves and your fans. So I just wanted to say that. I I find it, as a fan, it is strange that something is not, you know, on a friendship level, this isn't there. And I didn't have never known why until I read your book, if that makes any sense. And it's, I will Uh say, it's heartbreaking. All I'll say to end this little rant is is that it's a bit heartbreaking and I don't understand it because the last time you guys convened was what, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yes, that and that was a long time ago. Now that was in two thousand one, I think. Two thousand one, yeah, yeah. And uh, so twenty years has has passed. And you, you I, seem so exuberant uh, in your brief remarks at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You were so excited to. I mean, I, I believe your exact words are thanks for thanks to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for giving this band a happy ending. Is that correct? Yes, I, that was my speech. Yeah. So you kind of knew the writing was on the wall some 19 years ago, that that was probably going to be it. Yeah, I, 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 was, I was very pleased that David and Jerry and Tina and, and I all decided to reconvene and to, you know, celebrate our band at, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You, you, can, you can say what you want about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Not everybody thinks it's such a great organization. Uh, but I can tell you as a musician, when you get the call from your manager's office one day that, guess what, you're, you're going to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, I can tell you that that is a good day. <laughs> well, just for and, the um, just for the reunions that occur at the ceremony alone, I find I agree with you, and I'm uh, probably among the people who are like Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I've been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and uh, it was incredible. I saw the uh, there's a Talking Heads exhibit uh, for uh, yeah. the album yeah. cover for more more songs about buildings. Yeah, it's it's I I'm with you, but I, I watched it. You guys sounded great, and it seemed effortless. And it sounds in your book, you had a few practices. And then you played that thing, and I'm like, why can't I? You know, it gets to a point where, as a fan, you feel greedy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, you want to yeah. see this thing again and again. But honestly, like, it's a powerful performance, uh, and so it it did it did probably fill fans with a lot of hope at the time. And at some point, like, when was the last time you or Tina or Jerry approached David? Because it's my understanding that it's David who doesn't want to do it and has made comments about how you being musically miles apart, which is what prompted my earlier ramble there. Cause you don't, yeah, you don't see uh, miles, you don't see musically miles apart is my point. And so, yes, I know. So what is the uh, resistance? We, is, it, what, is it just him saying, I don't want to do it? Yeah. It's just him saying, I don't want to do it. Um, a- after the rock and roll hall of fame induction, I fielded a, a bunch of uh, offers for, for talking heads to reunite and and I one of them was one of the first ones was actually a festival called the Bonnaroo Festival. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if that still exists anymore, but it, it was does. a big. It does. I mean, nothing, nothing exists as we're speaking because of the pandemic, and it was canceled. But it does. Yeah. It does exist. Yeah. Okay. So so the promoters of that we were doing a Tom Tom Club gig down down in uh, Nashville. Uh, 
no, not Nashville, uh, Chattanooga. Oh, okay. Chattanooga, Tennessee, yep. and uh, which is a cool little town. And and um, you know, we were on a little tour, and uh, the promoter was one of the guys from Bonnaroo. And so he he uh, he came up to Tina and I after the show, and he said, "I'd like to make you an offer, and, and I'd like I'd like to uh, I, I'm hoping you can discuss this with David." So when I got back to New York, I had dinner with David uh, at a place in the uh, in on the Lower East Side, uh, a tapas bar, a restaurant, tapas bar. And we had a nice time, very cordial, and I said, David. Have you ever heard of Bonnaroo? And he said, "No, I've never heard of Bonnaroo." And I said, "Well, it's this big festival in, down in uh, Tennessee, and and uh, they're offering us uh, to play there." And I said, "Incidentally, the fee is insanely good, <laughs> and that doesn't include the DVD or or the." you know, the live album or anything else that could be recorded that night, that, that would all be in addition to the fee. So, so David said, Oh, well, let me think about it over the weekend. So, so he, he thought about it over the weekend and uh, he emailed me and he said, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I will never reunite with talking heads and please don't ever ask me to do this again. Hmm. And uh, that was in 2002. <laughs> so, so uh, hmm. and then the, the offers kept coming from various places around the world, various promoters. And, 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 it, and it, was, it was frustrating to me because um, not only was it uh, financially kind of crazy not to do it, but I was also thinking about our fans. And, we, you know, we have fans all around the world. And wouldn't it be great – to do to do some shows wouldn't it be great to just do even one show hmm. for the fans hmm. and if possible more but i guess david didn't see see it that way um instead he he's playing a, a show with i guess 70 or 80 percent ta- talking head songs and um a few of his solo songs and uh you know, people seem to love the show because, but I, uh, we all know they go to the show to hear the Talking Head songs. They they do not go to hear David's solo songs. Right. So, so what is your I, from your book? I get a sense of what's going on there, uh, and my impression from your book is that David is fundamentally not a doesn't seem to be fundamentally a a, a person at peace with himself in terms of how he yeah. relates to other people. And that's something you attempt to illuminate in your book. And it's it doesn't... I want to be careful here because I don't get the impression that some might, that you are simply feeling embittered for, for being unsung in the band. There's a primacy placed on lead singers. Uh, it's, yeah. right, it's right in the name. And it's sort of strange. One of the things that comes through in your book, and obviously this is your perspective, but it really highlights the role you and Tina and Jerry and others played in forming Talking Head songs from the ground up. It's not simply David's expression. And yeah. I assume there was part of you that has been holding on to this feeling of like, I don't think people even know 
that I yes. that Tina wrote the part in Psycho Killer, the French part in Psycho Killer, and I was the uh-huh. one who yelled the the kind of the you know the bridge part or whatever. People just don't know that stuff because we all assume the person speaking is the one who conceived of the thing they're speaking, <laughs> and uh-huh. and and also the music. Is it fair to say that's something you? Has that been gnawing at you a little bit? You 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 wanted to express this to the world. Yeah, exactly. You you are correct, Vish. <laughs> when you um, you know you know not all of us are, are are really good at blowing our own horn. It's not not in our nature to do so. Yeah. But I know that behind every big star is a whole team of people. <laughs> uh, they they might not care to admit it, but but the fact is that no, it's a cliche, but nobody does this by themselves. And uh, Talking Heads was a really good team. Uh, you might even say a team of geniuses. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and, and it's and, it's uh, striking. Like the shows would begin with David saying, "The name of this band is Talking Heads." Uh, yeah, that's telling. Like it is a it was a band, and I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Yes, bit. yeah, that's what I'm getting at. And I don't think we were ever jealous of David for for getting you know more photographs than than the rest of us. I mean, I'm I'm the drummer. I'm sitting behind the band. I know from the get go that the the ph- photo- photographers down in the front are going to be shooting pictures of the singer okay. and occasionally occasionally they they try to get one of the drummer but he's in the back and there's all this equipments in front of him and everything <laughs> yeah and, you know it, it's it, it's not an egotistical thing on my part it's just it's just uh, an interest in um well the truth yeah, thank you. The truth, yes, telling the truth, and, and um, yes, David was a big part of Talking Heads, and so was I, <laughs> and so was Tina, and so was Jerry, and so were all the auxiliary members you brought into the that's into the right. four. Yeah, I, 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 that's right. And it, 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 in my in my book, I go out of my way. I think you may may have noticed I go out of my way to mention every single person who helped us along the way. Yeah. And, um, and I may have forgotten one or two people, and I, I'm sorry about that, but I tried to remember everyone. Right. So there's two questions I have along these lines. One is currently, if you have a sense, based on, we've talked about this, but I wonder if you can psychoanalyze the situation on one hand and, and maybe offer your opinions as to why David has been so resolute in separating himself from the talking heads while at the same time maintaining its legacy uh, through his Broadway show and his solo shows. Uh, There's that question. But then going back to the beginning of your relationship with him and your working relationship with him, in your book, it seems to me that you had a sense things were going to, things were a little awry with him and you from the beginning, uh, an aloofness, um, a kind of dispassionate sense of, like, I can't even recall if you mentioned David being at your wedding. I, I got, I, you mentioned other people that you're in your orbit that when you and Tina had your wedding. You, you yeah. Kind of, David was there. He was there. Okay. Jerry, yeah. Okay. Jerry was there. And the, the whole band was there. Okay. Sorry. I don't mean to, I'm not fact checking. <laughs> <laughs> but do you have a, so in terms of my question, one, 
what is your sense of why he's been so resolute about not reuniting? In 2002, that's the last you probably talked about it by the sounds of it. But why have you? Yeah. Why, why do you suppose he's been so resolute about separating himself from the rest of the band? And two, and, and don't take this the wrong way, but what, wasn't the writing on the wall in the from the moment you met him basically and started working with him that he seemed to be in his own little world and didn't want to really emotionally connect to you? Do you know what I mean? It wasn't. It wasn't always so overtly on the wall as as it okay. became. Like, let's see. When we were getting started, <laughs> it was. It, I was really the person who kind of was was the. I, I, I say this with reservation, but I was kind of like the band leader. Hmm. I, I put. I invited David to start the band with me. I invited Tina into the band. I also invited Jerry into the band. I'm I'm the one who uh, did the mostly most of the speaking with Seymour Stein of Sire Records. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm the f- person who went to CBGBs the first time and said our band would like to have a gig here. David was not, as I say, a people person, and he was not comfortable speaking to even people he did know. Never mind people he didn't know. So, so I, I took on that responsibility and, and with pleasure, I was kind of good at that, you know, yeah. and it was no problem. It was, it was my dream to uh, get this band together. Keeping the band together was more like my nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it comes across on the page that way. Absolutely. And, but, but I was determined to keep it together because, it, yes, David would occasionally threaten to leave the band or even s- announce that I'm leaving the band, never to us directly, but through some third party. So we, 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 that happened so many times. I must tell you, it happened so many times that we just, we, and he, and he always came back to the band. Mm that we thought, oh, well, this is just how David is. You know, he, he wants to, he wants to leave and then he wants to come back. Yeah. Okay. But things started to happen. Like uh, one particular A&R man at Warner Brothers said to David, David was very upset that his solo career wasn't doing better. And this is around 1990 or so. And uh, he, he said to David, I, I I heard this through a third party, so it might not be a hundred percent accurate. But I but I believe the person who told it to me. Hmm. So the, he said to to David, "As long as Talking Heads is still together, nobody here at the company is going to take your solo career s- seriously." Right. Which was a okay. na- nail in the coffin kind of thing. Yeah. And that was when it was shortly after that, that David announced that he wasn't going to work with us anymore. Right. And and that was the sort of final announcement of it. (laughs) You know, he, he had threatened this many times before, but this was kind of like, this is kind of like the end of the road. So, I mean, what you're saying then, I think if I can read between the lines is that this is fundamentally uh, an issue of selfishness. He wanted to make sure his solo career uh, took off and having been given the advice that, you know, I know what he, I, I can see where that person is coming from. When someone puts out a solo record, it's sort of always, whatever for whatever reason, for those of us who love the band they're in, the solo offering is like a placeholder. 
Um, you're, uh-huh. wa- you're waiting for the yeah. band to get back together because we all respond to uh, band chemistry. The band dynamic, when it's special, really feels special. Um, it's yeah. it's one of the reasons I always have a. I'm always baffled when bands replace uh, departed members or what have you. I have a hard time with it because I. Yeah, I think, me too. Yeah, I, I do believe in that band chemistry thing. Uh, I know there's a power to it that goes beyond people playing the right notes and chords and what have you. But um, is that? Yeah. Sorry, I, I I'm. Am I wrong to assert that that you are fundamentally suggesting there's a selfish aspect? to David not wishing to associate himself solely with talking heads at this point. Yeah. What we, I think you're right. What we had hoped was that he could have his solo career and talking heads at the same time, Hmm. you know, best of both worlds type thing. But uh, I mean, that's what we did with Tom Tom club. Yes. But that seemed, I, (laughs) the way you depict that, is so hilariously it's I feel badly for David you guys he says he wants to take a break from talking heads you and Tina say okay well we got and your accountant I guess is like yeah you guys got to do something you do something it's a massive hit and and pioneering like we hip-hop music rap music today owes this huge debt to Tom Tom Club's innovations and you and Tina just kind of like making it up as you went along it says something about the power of your artistic capabilities and, and, and foresight as well. I'm sure this burns David up a little bit. Like, <laughs> and and I, you, I think you kind of get to that in the book a little, right? Well, I, yeah, I tried to. Um, the success of Tom Tom Club, the first Tom Tom Club album, is something we've been chasing uh, as Tom Tom Club for a long time. It was just one of those magical moments in time for us when when everything seemed to be going right but it it also to people who have half a brain i think it it indicated that talking heads was more of a shared experience that it wasn't just uh, you know like a single bullet theory type of thing right right it was it was uh well, anyway, it was it was a really good time for Tina and me, and <laughs> and, and it, it 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 gave us a, a certain sense of validation that was much needed, really, at that time. Yeah, I want to uh, I want to delve a bit into New York uh, just for a moment because we've been talking sure. about we've been talking about David, in, in, a, in a sort of I guess from your perspective a factual light about his behavior. But I also, you, I should tell you, uh, Chris, my daughter is named Ramona after the Ramones. Uh, So Ah. (laughs) your your stories about the Ramones are meaningful to me, too. The the tours you did with them, seeing them, I never got to see them uh, at all, frankly. I should have went to see one of the fourth or fifth generation iterations of the band when I had the chance, but I I didn't. I was too young, I guess. But anyway, Uh the Ramones mean a lot to me, but you seem, correct me if I'm wrong, Johnny Ramone, Patti Smith. There are other prima donnas that you kind of allude to <laughs> in your book, and and they all kind of stem from a New York scene. And I and David and you guys as well. Is there something to that that chip on the shoulder of certain members of bands who had these leadership roles and feeling like, a I'm not going to be as like you make a point of saying the Patti Smith group, wonderful people. By the way, I'm a huge Patti Smith fan. 
I've had the yeah. opportunity to interview her once, and it was she was so nice to me. She, her record company said you got to get off the phone after ten minutes, and when they cut in, she's like, you know what? I really appreciate your respect. I'm going to call you. They've got me doing all this stuff. I'm sorry. I'm going to call you in a few hours. Give me your number. And she did. Uh-huh. She did. I was like yeah. one of the kindest, nicest things, and it really made made meant the world to me. But I got the impression from your book that she didn't always treat you and the rest of the band with much respect. Johnny Ramone comes across, as a lot of us know, kind of a dick. Uh, <laughs> so there's some truth telling about others too. Is that? Do you think there's something going on about New York at that time uh, as well? Well, no, I don't think it's New York. I, I think I think it's. Uh... I do. I realize that people from outside of New York tend to think of New Yorkers as as tending to be snappy and rude and uh, kind of uh, short tempered. But no, it's not really like that. Okay. Um, uh, all the other Ramones were completely cool to us. It was just Johnny, and they were all they were all from the same neighborhood and mm. in Forest Hills, you know. Yeah, Queens. Yeah. yeah. They'd all grown up together, and no, but they, I, I, but they I, were afraid of him. Like they were absolutely Tommy Ramone. Seem in your book, anyway. They come across as yeah. either we ignore this guy and his brutal behavior, his his treatment of his girlfriends, and his treatment of us, and you know, uh, on, on you yeah. even on the tour, make a point when you guys did these extensive tours together of Europe. You're all just marveling, and and Johnny keeps repeating that everything's grim. Everything's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, well, that's a, that's a sign of depression, you yes. know, when you when, yeah. when things are beautiful and you see them as grim. Yeah. So maybe he was depressed. I don't know. Hmm. I do know that that eventually he got hit on the head. He got clobbered by some other punk. Yes. Uh, and, and he was put in the hospital. And when he came out, he was a much nicer person. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not. We we are not. By the way, that is almost like a cartoon: getting hit in the head, getting amnesia, getting whatever you know. Like, yeah, but it might yeah. might be some truth to that. Maybe he realized life was precious. And, and we we actually uh, we actually became friends uh, on the final tour we did with the Ramones, which was in 1990. It was called the Escape from New York tour. We we played in Canada. Yeah, we played. Uh, in Ontario and Vancouver, Victoria. We played on Victoria Island. Oh, nice! Even. But but um, that was beautiful. Yeah. But uh, Johnny Johnny was m- maybe was just older and wiser by that point. But he was much he was a much nicer person. Still not really what you'd call a nice guy, but much better than he had been. So. Yeah, you know. yeah, I do think, and I, I'm sure with wisdom and, and experience, you've learned this too. Uh, since becoming a parent, I've come to realize that uh, you know people behave a certain way because if they if they behave towards others with any hostility, it has more to do with them and their comfort levels with themselves and their comfort levels in their own skin, and that comes across in your depiction of David. At one point, you make the illusion that knowing what you know now, you would suggest he's on the spectrum. You don't really go into what that means, but there's a yeah. little bit of psychoanalysis there. Like something. Yes, it could be. Uh, <laughs> I, I have to be Vish. I have to be very careful what I say about the spectrum, right? Be, because I've I've come to realize that that there in in this woke atmosphere we live in today, uh, there are people who are very sensitive to 
any any discussion of being or not being on the spectrum. Sure, absolutely. So let's just leave it at this. Um, I I read what the symptoms are, or what the indications are, and uh, I realized that that's probably what we had been dealing with for for quite a few years. Right, right. And and uh, but I'm not saying uh, I. Uh, I'm not making any untoward remarks about people who are on the spectrum. Right. Fair enough. And I, I, I appreciate you clarifying that. Um, the sure. only, the, the other fascinating, one of the other fascinating parts of your book, you have some very interesting encounters with people we all consider uh, huge, massive heroes, musical heroes. <laughs> and, and some of them, like the, there's the interaction you have with Bob Dylan that's quite fleeting, which I found funny. I'm a big Bob Dylan fan. Rolling Stones, yeah. you know, I, you didn't really clarify this. Did you sit? Did Keith Richards come in to do a session that you and Tina oversaw? Is that what you meant by that? When he came in and laid a guitar part down? Yes, Tina and I were producing Ziggy Marley, uh, who was one of the first signings. Uh, Ziggy Marley and the Melody Makers, I should say, because his brother Stephen and, and his sisters Sadilla uh, and Sharon were also part of the group. We were hired to produce that album and it was a huge hit it was the best-selling reggae album of all time up until up until his father's uh, legend album mm-hmm. came out or maybe the legend album came out just before it and it anyway it was it was a big hit and um one of the other signings virgin records virgin america it was called was was a new company then and they signed ziggy marley and they also signed keith richards nice to us and so so they said how'd you like to have keith come in and and do a guitar solo i'll bet he'd love to do it and we said okay that sounds (laughs) great And, and keith keith came in he uh he was totally gentlemanly and he listened to the track and he, he had his guitar with him and he, he noodled around a little bit and he said, you know what, make a cassette of this for me. I'll take it home and I'll come back tomorrow and I'll nail it. So we said, okay, we made a cassette of the song. The song was called Lee and Molly, mm-hmm. which is uh, on the conscious party album. And it's a song about a an interracial love affair in Jamaica. Right. So uh, Keith came in, came back the next day and did a totally cool Keith Richards guitar part. And uh, you know, I think I think we took maybe three passes and composited the best little bits of each one. And uh, very happy to have done that with Keith. That's a yeah yeah that's lovely that's great. Yeah. The the one thing I wanted to follow up on, though, is you make fleeting mention of being a young man working at a furniture store, I believe it is. Yeah. And you make a point of saying, you know, John and Yoko came in to buy a couch, and that's all you say about it. So I'm not sure what your interactions were with John Lennon and Yoko Ono, but that struck me as, I'm like, I, I was reading that, and I'm like, I'd like to know more about that little thing. Were you involved in that transaction? Well, I I wish I had been more involved. I was the stock boy at that store, which meant uh, a truck would drive up to the store. We'd unload this furniture and housewares and stuff 
off of the truck, put it on the display floor. And then when it was sold, we box it up and put it back on another truck for delivery. Mm-hmm. So that was my gig. But, but uh, John and Yoko came in and uh, we had this white leather, this, this store was called design research and it was right on 57th street. And it, it sold very, very high end uh, European uh, furniture design primarily European, right. like from Denmark and Italy. And there was this one, I can't remember the designer, but the, there was this one big leather couch that could unfold into a bed. And um, not like a regular, uh, you know. It's not like a sofa bed, but yeah. Not like a regular sofa bed, but like a big leather thing that, that almost like a baseball glove. <laughs> okay. It, 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 you could open up and it would lie down and be a bed. So anyway, it was white. And as you may know, John and Yoko were very fond of white. Yes, there one, uh, the mansion, um, it's escaping me now, Tilson something, Tilsonhurst or something. They, it was all white. I mean, the white piano, the white. Yeah, I remember what you, I think I know what you're referring to. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, so so uh, they bought it. I was tempted. I, I, you know, the word got out that John and Yoko were in the store. So I came up from my little office in the basement to 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 see them. And I did see them. And I was very tempted to walk up and say, you know, introduce myself. But I refrained because I was just the stock boy. Sure. You know? Sure. And they bought it. And so uh, my fellow stock boy and I packed it up and put it back on a, a, a truck and delivered it to their their home. And uh, I never got to meet them, no. <laughs> okay, sorry. I just I, – and I gathered that. I, I assumed if there was just a, a, you know, a more elaborate but, but story. Beesh, I did get to meet Ringo. Yes, that's great. One of my favorite, uh, you know, one of the guys who got me going. Absolutely. Uh, what was that like? Well, well, it was it was also very brief. <laughs> it was in Montreal, Montreal. It was uh, in a some posh hotel in Montreal, and we, we were we were doing a big show with the police. Oh, the lineup was the police, Talking Heads. Peter Tosh and Stevie Ray Vaughan. Wow. Yeah, it was a big show. It was in the the Olympic uh, Stadium, right. I think, in Montreal. And the next day, I guess it was the next day, I was coming down to breakfast in the elevator. And the elevator doors opened and Ringo walked in. And I said, oh, good morning, Ringo. And he looked at his watch and he said, it's afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, and that was the extent of my conversation with Ringo. <laughs> well, you know, it is remarkable. I mean, you are for some of us in those leagues that uh, uh, you know, Rolling Stones, Beatles. I mean, some people might bristle at this, but you you know, for what it's worth, I think you you're in that pantheon, and it comes through in this book. It's 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 a remarkable book. It's called Remain in Love, and I appreciate you discussing it with us, Chris. I um I do want to. Before we go, two things. I usually ask people what their future plans are, and I'm going to do that in a moment. But uh-huh. now, now that the book is out, I assume, and you know, I've seen many press reports about it and whatnot. I'm curious about the reception of the book among uh, both people that are depicted in it. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, people external to the band. But have you heard from 
David or Jerry. Uh, I assume Tina helped. Maybe looked over your shoulder every once in a while, at least, to help you edit things and make things, make sure things uh-huh. are accurate. But have you heard from the rest of the band and people in your your band's immediate orbit about the book? Well, there is a copy of the book winging its way to Jerry as we speak, autographed by me. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> lucky lucky jerry yeah and um uh, david said this is funny uh we i asked very early on if david would like to see the galleys of the book and he declined the reason was this was not to me this was through our manager my manager it was different from David's manager. I don't even know if David has a manager anymore. Hmm. But what happened was uh, David said, no, I don't want to see the galleys because then if people ask me what I think of the book, I can just say, oh, I haven't read it. Right. <laughs> and that's that's uh, that sort of sums it up right there. He, 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 you know, uh, hmm. Uh, he, he doesn't have to say he uh, what he thinks of it because he hasn't read it. Yeah, he does seem to... I should say I've invited David to be on the show and, and to talk uh, a few times from my little modest perch here, and uh, it's uh-huh. it's come close, and I'd love to have him on the show sometime. I'm a fan. Um, and yeah. on some level, this... Like I said, like reading your book, I wasn't so much shocked as like, yeah, that seems to check out. That's that was kind of uh-huh. my impression of things. Uh, something, yeah. Yeah. Some, some, yeah. So, so I, um, on some level, I can appreciate his position that he doesn't want to know. I lived it, and I got to keep going here. And I'm sure on some yeah. level, you can respect that too. Yeah, some people, David is one of them. Say, I don't like to look back. I like to look forward. Well. I guess you could, I could say I'm a person who likes to look forward, but I also like to look back, at least on the good parts. And um, Well, our paths forward are based on things we learn uh, from yes, our past, right? Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, David seems like a much nicer person now. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe that's really true. I mean, it, he almost comes across as, as like Mr. Rogers now. Which in these little video interviews I see of him, it's yeah. a com- it's a completely different person. Well, that's and, good. That might be good. I think. Yeah, it might be good. Yeah, I, ho- I hope. I, I, well, he's doing very well. So uh, good for him. You know, it's, it's interesting. It's, I don't know if you'll find this interesting because I know you talk a little bit about things that uh, are attributed to David that may have come from others, not not just within the band, but. I was just, wow. just to, again, in preparation, going through my Talking Heads archives. By the way, what a great gift it is for you to write a book in an age where if you're talking about being on American Bandstand in your book, your view, your your readers can be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to look that up. And then within a second, I've, I'm on YouTube watching the exact thing that you're describing. What a, uh-huh. great, what a great gift that is. And there's so much great Talking Heads stuff on, on the Internet. But... Um, yeah, it's it's. I don't know where I was going with this. Oh, I was watching the video for nothing but flowers. And, oh yeah, and uh, which if people haven't seen it, wonderful video. Uh, uh, it's 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 really well done in terms of uh, socially conscious messages uh, that were prescient for the time uh, uh, and maybe weren't really taken seriously. But I couldn't help but think, you know, David's current Broadway show that I've really only experienced because of him being on Saturday Night Live with that 
group, it really feels like the Nothing But Flowers video. They're barefoot. They're kind of individuals coming forward and back. Do you know what I'm? Have you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh huh. Uh huh. Do you see yeah. see the similarity there? I'm not trying to suggest he's aping it, but I was like, wow, it's so strikingly like that same video uh, idea where it's, you know, not everyone. I don't know. Does that make any sense? It does make sense now that you mention it. But, you know, he, uh, David recycles a lot of things that we did with Talking Heads. Yeah. Some of them were his ideas. Some of them were mine. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that's the rub, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, I, as I say, I would like to ask you about future plans. You've just poured your life out in this book, and I don't know what you're up to musically. I want to get to that. But one other thing. You, the Talking Heads have released deluxe editions of records over the years. Have we heard everything at this point have we heard everything that you feel is ripe for public uh, consumption or is there a, a treasure trove we haven't yet got to i don't think there is a treasure trove no okay um i, I i'm sure that i'm sure that um warner brothers in their vaults have some interesting uh film and video that were made i uh, i haven't seen seen any of that that stuff and and um you know i don't know if it's good or if it's not good but i know uh, there was a time when camera crews were were being hired to shoot our shows and stuff like that right so there's that type of thing but to tell you the truth we didn't really uh, have a lot of outtakes that that were worth releasing um or uh or songs that were unused we, we really pretty much used everything as we were going along. Same with Tom Tom Club. We, we didn't, we weren't, we weren't so prolific that we wrote like m- very many songs that were never used. We just didn't, you know? Yeah. Between, com- between talking heads compilations, at least. And like I say, these deluxe edition digital or otherwise, I feel like I'm, there's always some revelation there. Uh, or, or something that didn't make it onto an album or a, an early recording. So I I gathered that we, it's why I asked. I just and Sire is really good about that. I find they when they get behind yeah. a band's catalog, they're like, here you go, here's kind of warts and all stuff that might be interesting. So yeah, you're you're basically substantiating that. We've probably heard most of the studio expression of that band in particular. I think so, yes. Okay, okay. So again, I've alluded to this a few times now. Let's get to the future. Chris, what's next for you uh, and and Jerry and Tina and and the rest of you? Do you have a sense of what's coming up next? Well, um, I I think Jerry was about to do a tour with a band called, with Adrian Ballou and a band called Turquoise, where where they were going to play Remain in Light, songs from Remain in Light. Oh. Uh, But... uh, Tina and I have been, uh, Tina and I have been, well, I've been working on this book and promoting this book. Tina's working on a book of her own, which is very early days. So I, I can't tell you much about it, but she's an excellent writer. I can tell you that much. Tina seems, and, everyone loves Tina and, and Tina seems very lovable. I must say, if I might say, she, you. <laughs> she is. She is. Um, totally. Uh, and uh, as as for uh, music, uh, Tina and I have been uh, talking about maybe uh, getting our Tom Tom Club crew back together. We were going to do some secret gigs in uh, April, 
with uh, this past April with with Tom Tom Club, and of course, those had to be canceled. Right. Uh, so who knows? Maybe by next April we'll be able to do some. I don't know. Okay. When it whenever whenever this virus calms down, yeah. but, but, uh, we have a great band. We, we love working with them and, uh, maybe we could come to Edmonton. That would be, <laughs> you know, hang out at my house if you want to, if you, if you come here, uh, absolutely would love to have that, have that happen when, once things calm down, as you say. Well, thank you very much, Vish. Yeah, it'd be wonderful. Now, where can people go? So the book is out. It's again, it's called remain in love, talking heads, Tom, Tom club, Tina, it's out via St. Martin's Press, and it's available mm-hmm. now. Um, Chris, if, you, if people were to keep tabs on you and Tina and, and all of your ventures, where would you want to send them, so to speak, in terms of, you know, Internet stuff? Well, I'm afraid we, we have a Tom Tom Club website, but I'm afraid I, it's sorely in need of updating. Um, more updated stuff is on my Facebook page, okay. which is just Chris France. And I also have an author page, Chris France, and we also have a, uh, a Tom Tom Club official page and a Talking Heads official page. So okay. you can get news at, at one of those. And I'm on Twitter as France Chris, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, what else? I, I have a <laughs> Tumblr. I have a Tumblr account, uh, you know. But uh, I'll get I'll get that Tom Tom Club website updated one of these days. Okay, okay. Now, traditionally, to uh, end a, a conversation like this one, I will ask a, a musical guest to pick uh, some music to go out on uh, that is related to them. Often, it's new stuff. In your case, uh, we might have to travel back. Is there a song uh, from your from your own expression that you would that you can think of that we can go out on right now, Chris? Yeah. There is, um, you know, we we I don't. Do you celebrate Record Store Day in Canada? Yes, we do. That... It's not a religious holiday. Everyone celebrates Record Store Day. I think. <laughs> okay, good. Because <laughs> we we have uh, Tom Tom Club has uh, um, uh, re-released on vinyl, beautiful colored vinyl, a thing called Genius of Live 2020. It's it's a thing we recorded here in the room that I'm speaking to you from in front of a live audience of about 50 or so people. Our band played, we set up and we, we recorded a live set at the end of a tour we did. It came out really well. It was originally released 20 years ago hmm. or, or something like that. And, uh, but we have a new package and it's um, got a great picture of Tina Weymouth doing the bump with Grandmaster Flash on the cover. <laughs> and uh, it's, it, it's available on Record Store Day. It's called Genius of Live 2020. Okay, so w- is there a particular song from that? Oh, oh, a particular song? Yes, Genius of Love. <laughs> this is a groundbreaking song, uh, absolutely. And uh, this is a live version. Okay. Uh, let's go to that. This is a, a live version of Genius of Love by Tom Tom Club. Chris France, thank you so much for this time and for all of your contributions to pop music and pop culture. It uh, really means the world to me that we had a, a chance to talk, and uh, I wish you the best of luck with everything going forward. Likewise, and to you too, Vish. All the best. Welcome to the clubhouse, everybody. This is the Tom Tom Club.
a sweet love of money I'm a talking so you listen to me And we'll be rocking in time And I can see the sign We'll be coming in a good state of mind They're gonna be a lot of rocking While the rhythm is a talking For the people they're getting out of the groove Girl you rock your body while me do the And I hold my love of beauty And we do it the end for night I do it with my own And I have sweet love of money I'm a talking so you listen to me And we'll be rocking in time And I can see the sign We'll be coming in a good state of mind This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss what a tremendous thrill and uh, pleasure to get to have chris france on this the 557th episode of creative control which is part of the entertainment one podcast network and available on all apple and google platforms and other things as well if you can't find an episode that you're looking for or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my semi-regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative or vishkana. 
Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain the existence of this podcast. Every little bit helps. Uh, again, if you donate $6 or more a month, uh, you are uh, you, you get access to different stuff. You get access to my audio archives that I've been posting uh, here and there when I can a couple times a month. Uh, lots of great stuff that isn't in the regular feed, conversations with people uh, who are significant to, to me, uh, hopefully to you. Some have passed away. Some, I just think uh, it's timely to, you know, resurrect some of these old conversations. Lots uh, to see and do at patreon.com slash creative control. Thanks again to live at MasseyHall.com, where you can watch beautifully captured concerts by great Canadian artists. Also, for their in-kind support, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, and Granddad's Donuts. Also, Jim Guthrie lends me music for this show, and he's a dear old friend of mine. And I love him, and I love his music. And, and I'm sure if you got to check out his music, you'd love it and him as well. Go to JimGuthrie.org to learn more about Jim. And finally, thank you very much for listening to this episode with Chris France. What a thrill, honestly. It's great to have... I get to talk to Chris France from Talking Heads. Again, check out if you if you appreciated his candor and, uh, and his uh, perspective there, this conversation. Again, I urge you to check out his book, Remain in Love, Talking Heads, Tom Tom Club. Tina, it's out now. It's a great read, and I, I hope uh, this inspired you to, to d- dig into it further. And, uh, and uh, yeah, thanks for listening to this episode with Chris and for checking out past episodes of the show, maybe, and subscribing to the show, telling your friends about the show. If you if it's like, whoa, I didn't know about this show. Maybe my friends want to know about it, too. Well, that would be great. But uh, other than that, I have... It doesn't matter. You don't have to do any of those things. I appreciate you listening this far into this episode, and I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.